Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. I'm really psyched to be here. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and uh, we got a really great episode for you today with Cam Franklin of The Suffers. I know you'll really enjoy this episode, learn a lot about Cam. Um, really happy to have you here. If you're here for the first time to the road, to Roadcase, uh, welcome. Welcome to the Roadcase community, and for those others that have been to Roadcase before, welcome back. Really happy that you're here. I uh, want to remind everyone that you can follow Roadcase on the social medias, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The handle is at RoadcasePod. Uh, you can check out uh, the different episodes that we've already put out uh, and subscribe to those uh, to those socials for the most update uh, information on Roadcase. Uh, another great way to get involved with the Roadcase community is to send me an email. My email address is info at roadcasepod.com. You can send me your comments or suggestions for guests or whatever you'd like. I promise I'll get back to you. We also have a website where you can learn more about the uh, about the podcast and about where the best places to listen to the show, and you can learn a little bit more about me as well there. Um, another thing you can do to help support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. For example, the most popular listening platform is Apple Podcasts, and there you can just scroll down from where you're listening to the episode, and you can see where you can rate and review, throw down some stars, write a couple nice words and you can also subscribe to this uh to this podcast on that listening platform by just checking the check mark up at the top uh those are all great ways to get involved and uh really very much appreciate everyone's support and thanks for being here so i'm really excited to have cam franklin on Roadcase. uh cam and i sat down and had a really uh informative and interesting chat about cam's background uh she is just an awesome artist based in houston with her band the suffers that's a combination of r&b rock soul and and jazz um cam was working a nine to five job up until recently um and uh, after they got, uh, uh, she was asked to be on the David Letterman show by some, uh, by co- very much of a coincidental story, which we talk about um, in 2015. Uh, Cam and our uh, bandmates just decided to devote it all to uh, to music and work full time to that end. Um, Cam has faced a ton of challenges in her artist in her life and in her artistic life. Uh, racism, cultural oppression. Uh, she's been a victim of sexual harassment and assault, all outrageous and horrible things. And I was really um, sorry to and very um, saddened to to hear about all those. And um, I'm really glad that she's okay and that she was able to share uh, her very 
troubling in some ways uh, story. Uh, nothing that is incredibly unique, as she says, but uh, but does need to be heard and um, and changed, frankly. Um, and I'm glad that she's here to share those stories with me. And I'm glad that you are here. I want to thank everyone for being here. And I want to give a very special thank you to Cam Franklin for sharing her time with me on this episode of Road Case. And here we go. Hey, Cam, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're in some sessions, right? Is that for new material and stuff? It is for new material, yes. (laughs) I'm just happy to be working, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's been tough for everybody, I think. (laughs) Yeah, Um, sure. Yeah, and it's been a while since you guys put out that album in um, in 2018, right? Everything Here, which I love, by the way. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we just finished up our third uh, album during quarantine, which was really nice. And mm-hmm. um, I'm working on both the solo record and the fourth Suffers album. <laughs> so we're just wow. kind of, you know, staying busy and, um, yeah, just continuing to write music and, uh, output all the creativity that seems to be coming forth right now. Oh, a lot of creativity coming out right now. Just kind of, is that sort of the way it always is with you or you go through kind of ups and downs with that or is it sort Um, of just a, I feel very lucky in that I've always been, um, one to output. I haven't had very many, uh, creative blocks and, you know, knock on wood for that, but I'm very grateful. Uh, it seems as though there's always something. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, um, was there a time when you'd suffered with kind of creative blocks and such? I mean, I can, I, I totally relate to like being in, in, um, I mean, I, I, I don't write music, but certainly being in, in my head too much sometimes and such kind of can be difficult. Yes. And no, um, more so because I've, uh, encountered far more creative oppression than, uh, creative blocks. So I've more so been in a position for the first time in my life to where I can truly, uh, release at the capacity in which I'm capable with the resources that I need to do it. Awesome. Um, what is, what, what do you mean by creative oppression? What's, what's the definition? Uh, everything from racism to sexism, uh, you know, basic old school stuff, things like having my sessions canceled, being assaulted during my sessions, uh, not getting paid during my sessions, being raped in the studio, you know? Oh my God. I'm so, I'm, oh my God, that's horrible. Most, I mean, it's unfortunately pretty normal, uh, for a lot of women that I talk to, but I seem to be one of the few that seem to be uh, pretty forthright about it. But I also think it's why I, I'm pretty calm because <laughs> I do a lot of work to heal and move past that. And I have to, again, tell them, you know, I'm not an anomaly. Like, I'm not the first woman to be assaulted during a session. You know, I waste a lot of fucking good time vetting people in hopes that I don't have to repeat some of the experiences that I've gone through. Um, But, you know, more than anything, I have decided to start being a lot more vocal, not only about this, but about a lot of things that I encounter in terms of, um, you know, repeated oppression. And it's not just uh, off stage, it's on stage, it's at the venues, it's a lot of these promoters, it's a lot of these uh, festival producers, and I've you know, I've written extensively about a lot of the stuff that I've encountered 
Um, but, you know, it's very slow change. And it seems as though last year was the first year where people decided to start believing me and uh, a lot of people that look like me, which is great, but um, also really sad. <laughs> and so, um, you know, again, yeah, this I've been making music since I was five years old. I've been performing live since I was five years old. And last year as a 33 year old woman was the first year that I was able to fully flourish. And it was because I was in isolation. So that gives you some perspective. Yeah. Sobering perspective. And yeah, I am horrified. I should be horrified, but I hear what you're saying about that. It doesn't and happen. Every industry has it. Bullshit. Every industry well, has it. Shit. I worked. It doesn't make it any better. <laughs> it doesn't make it any better, but until we start seeing accountability as the yeah. unity across right. the board, you know, I guess talking about it is step one. So here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for being. S I have lighter answers. Oh, no, 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 no. That's but, okay. I'm, 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 you know. I'm good. Being I'm <laughs> if you ask me the why, a lot of times people assume uh, it has something to do with uh, a lack of drive or something. Oh, hell no. I didn't believe uh, me. I don't even know you that well. And I knew it wasn't that Cam. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I've had a lot of people assume it's uh, because I wasn't willing to do some type of work or yeah. uh, tiny or whatever, and not because people were purposefully making shit harder for me. So um, there you go. Yeah. Well, creative oppression. I mean, I couldn't let that term go without understanding a little bit what that meant, that what that means to you and the, the impact that that has. Yeah. And I must say, though, you know, with my band, I am so lucky to be surrounded by such a supportive crew of people because I don't want it to be misconstrued as if I was like in some kind of <laughs> uh, creative prison or something with them because I do feel as though I am uh, able to be myself with them but you know they are not me and we all come from very different backgrounds and so it's been a very uh, major learning experience for all of us as we just grow into adulthood and um, our careers as musicians. What do you what exactly do you mean by that that uh, you're when you're talking about how you the makeup of your band and how that has an impact on very you. multicultural band. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So right. With, with more than one mm -hmm. woman, uh, you know, there's black folks, there's yep. Hispanic folks, there's white folks, there's gay folks. So when I talk about the makeup of our band, we don't have a traditional makeup. And because of that, for us to really survive, even though it should be the case for every single band, uh, you know, we have to listen a lot more and work to understand the things that, you know, might not have affected the the upbringing of one and trust that when someone isn't, um, you know, <laughs> isn't feeling their best or experiencing uh, what they should or want to experience uh, in that day, that when they share the reasoning as to why, you know, you have to believe them. And it's it's just been in exploration within the makeup of this band, because I don't know very many bands that are led by black women. Right. I don't know very, and I mean, bands this big bands that do the genres that we do bands that have been around as long as that, as we've been around, which is uh, just over yeah, 10 years. Great. And, you know, with this many members uh, maintaining pretty much the same lineup, I don't know very many bands that have an openly trans uh 
female bass player in them. I don't know very many bands that have as many Mexican people in them with, again, the makeup of this band. And so it's very important for me to, to bring all of those up because their, their oppression then becomes my oppression. Right. The things that hurt me and harm me and keep me from performing to my fullest impacts them. Yeah. You know, when, when just the conversation of uh, Black Lives Matter first came into fruition, like that was a pretty big uh, topic within our band because it was a non-conversation for me. Um, and it was a non-negotiable. Right. And anyone that might not have understood at the time, you know, I had no problem explaining it. Um, and I'm so grateful again to have bandmates and to be surrounded by people that understood um, so that when we are stepping into this era that we're in now, they understand the why in a way that, you know, a lot of people that might not have black friends, <laughs> that they might not understand so yeah, much. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel very lucky again to be amongst this makeup because it's not just, oh, knowing people that come from all these different backgrounds, you know, calling these people my friends, calling these people my family, my business partners, my confidants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel as though that vision is what uh, the new America, in my opinion, is. is it's whatever you want to be. It's all these different backgrounds coming together to make um, this joyful sound and share this gift of music with right. people. Um, but, you know, again, <laughs> oppression makes shit really fucking hard sometimes. Yeah. And it's not just mine, you know, and it's not just Juliet's. It's sometimes, you know, the way that the Hispanic members of my band get stared at when we're in the Pacific Northwest or the way that I get stared at when we're in Tennessee. Uh, or the way that I get talked to or accosted often. It's happened a few times when we've been in North Carolina um, at the venues where people tell me, oh, I've had the best time. I'm like, oh, did someone uh, that was drunk wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt shove a uh, cowboy hat on your head after you got off? And after you told them to stop, did security ask you what you were doing? Wow. <laughs> Probably no. not. So, um, and and I mean, like, it's, I, I never mean for things to be the extreme downer because there are a lot of things about this job that I love so much. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. Um, but I have always wondered what it would be like to just get to do the job. Wow. That's intense. Um, I try and um, hear your words and everything and just um, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. And um you know, I've I've seen your band, and I and I I love all the stories behind it. And there was the uh, the Mamas video that was really beautiful, and you've got such a um, uh, such an appreciation for everybody in the van and all those stories. And I completely hear you, and I I I'm I'm outraged that 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 occurs. But for you to hear that I'm outraged about something is kind of like, I mean, it's it it feels like it would be meaningless because it's happening um, ostensibly all the time. And, um, it's unfortunate and, and I don't necessarily need to talk about uplifting, happy stuff all the time. That's what, I mean, you guys turn people on with music and that's uplifting and happy a lot. And I love this, but I do, I am interested in representing the stories, um, that are behind that. So I want to, I, I want to hear everything you have to say, Cam. 
Yeah, um, I feel like this next album that we just finished, it's called It Starts With Love and It Ends With Love. Um, it should be out sometime mm-hmm. next year, but a lot of the themes on this record cover, you know, tougher subjects. They, co- they cover the oppression, they cover the sexism, they cover the racism. And it's the first time that I can say that I feel like we've been fearless on a record, not only in the lyrics, but also just in the way that we've approached uh, the musicianship and uh, the way that we chose to, f- to finish uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, not together, um, which is the opposite of how we've done the right. other records. But um, I, I, I'm just, again, so grateful <laughs> to just be able to do what we do because those are the, those are um the stories that keep me inspired, you know, going to all these different places, getting to meet these people, um, getting to meet the fans that are inspired by our music, the fans that are just shocked every time we come to their small (laughs) towns and, um, you know, and it's, it's, (laughs) it's gotten to a point where I sometimes wonder like, man, is this the gig? Like, have we made it? Are we trying to, uh, go above this. I know that there's obviously so much more that we can be doing and things that we want for ourselves in terms of finances and, you know, the, the venues that we're playing, but in terms of the consistency and the being able to do it and the output of the product and being able to present a show that keeps people lifted, um, you know, that, that I've, I've started to realize, oh, that's our, our gift. We are able to uh, make people feel lighter yeah. And so um, that's been the big focus of these these new shows that we, you know, I call them the new shows, the post-pandemic mm-hmm. shows, where we're so grateful to be back on that stage. But, you know, we had a year to think about what we would be doing and how we would be presenting yeah. ourselves. And as a band that's always kind of functioned without a, a big budget and without a huge team, um, you know, it became, well, what can we do internally to elevate what it is that we're doing? And so um, I've personally gone back to a lot of my foundations and, and my creative foundations, which more so lie in um, dance and gospel and visual art and uh, have put more of a focus into how I can bring those elements into mm-hmm. our show without, you know, uh, neglecting the original fans and without uh, stepping too far away from who it is that we are as a band. And for years coming up, you know, because we were a big band, we'd get all these comparisons to like uh, Rufus or uh, Chicago. And a part of me, you know, would always be like, we're not, you know, like, where are y'all getting this from? (laughs) And then, you know, during the pandemic, I'm watching and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, it's not just the size, it's the horns, it's the delivery, it's the full show, it's the 95 minutes, it's the, you know, sometimes 120 minutes if we're having a good time with the audience. It's the fact that we're coming to present a full presentation and a full uh, show, which is something that used to be respected back in the day for sure. Um, but I feel as though we're seeing a reemergence mm-hmm. of that, um, not only for our band, but uh, just bands in general, especially big bands that incorporate horns and, uh, you know, other non-traditional um, 
instruments, a lot of stuff from the orchestra mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, but I think a big part of that is because people have been so deprived, not only of live music, but just of a lot of those different sounds. You listen to the radio, you listen to Spotify, you listen to all these things that are basically being selected yeah. for you. It's great, but it's not <laughs> it's not the same feeling that you get when you're out with your friends and you're off to go see a band that you love and you come early accidentally for the opener and you end up being blown away by the opener. Like that is something to me that only can happen from live music. That is something yeah, like, no, you, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, fall absolutely. in love with the song, <laughs> but, but, you know, we all know what that feeling is when you walk into a club and you're there to see a band and you're like, wait, what are those horns? Like what's going on in there, right. you know, and it doesn't happen often. Um, but because we have always kind of been that band, that opener, I, I want us to prepare to be a headliner. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that takes a little bit more, uh, everything. And so I've, I've been, you know, training. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, and you guys have toured around, um, around the world though. Was that just as openers or, uh, you were, it was a little bit of yeah. everything. We've done a lot of headlining mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but a year off the road and being three years removed off of an yeah. album, you know, got to recoup a, it a little bit. The momentum, it's almost like a reset, completely. Yeah. You know, and um, having a uh, a different makeup, we're reintroducing this band in a completely different mm. way. And so, you know, yes, we've toured extensively, um, but not as the band that we are today. And so, I look forward to um, presenting this new version of us and presenting this music. We've been testing it out with a lot of the, a lot of our audiences, which is another thing that I love so much about live music is that if with the right audience that, you know, knows your stuff, they want new stuff. Yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, our, our big thing is we've been playing four new songs and asking the audience what they think the single is, which has been really funny. So, so ha- <laughs> do you, um, you've gotten out there a couple times in front of audiences so far, you know, kind of in this new normal world that we have. Um, how has your have you felt your own personal relationship change um being out there now after having taken a break Absolutely. from 15 months how, how so uh in a lot of different ways i feel i honestly feel a lot more respected mm-hmm. as an artist i feel like there's a lot of fans paying money that don't want to fucking hear the person next to them talking, which yeah, is really, yeah. <laughs> I don't I think, know if that's gonna last yeah. for long. I doubt that'll last forever, but it's been great yeah. recently. Fifteen months on the um, couch with no one talking <laughs> did uh, reset sort of people's mindset as to. Uh, I, I guess it's it's been funny, but I'm I'm I just kind of laugh when I saw some folks getting shished at yeah, the right last on. show. Um, it's what else? I I would say. Um, more so it shifted my appreciation for my bandmates uh, because we had to do so many shows remotely and uh, far away from Mm -hmm. one another that, you know, our time together on stage, our time together in our practice space, just recording anything. Like I feel like I just appreciate them um, in a very different way these days. And I think that, you know, it's kind of like, I think the not that we were about to get broken up or anything, but you know, it's like I would could I would compare it to like a couple that's on the rocks, and you know, either you figure out 
each other's love languages and you get to stay together right. or you you ignore what your partners your bandmates yeah. want and need to continue doing this and um you know you lose everything and so um we made a pretty strong commitment to one another we when we quit our jobs like we all had regular jobs and didn't need to quit and <laughs> we didn't need to come and try to do music however it was calling right, right. and um the letterman thing definitely was a catalyst for us uh all quitting our jobs but you know that was six years ago and we're still here so now it's what's your motivation what are the what are going to be the new things that are keeping us uh going as a collective and as a community of, of musicians and what can we do to use our our platform in a way that um continues to encourage the next generation yeah. but um yeah the the appreciation of the the fans and the appreciation of my my bandmates have been the, the two for me yeah so the focus has kind of changed a little bit then for you i mean um well you mentioned the letterman show that was in 2015 when you were gigging around mm -hmm. in in new york and then letterman asked you to be on the show and then things kind of just kind of you kind of sort of legged up to another level at that point which is an amazing story in and of itself right i mean yeah. you're la you're smiling like you i mean i think you love that yeah. story as much as <laughs> as much as everybody i mean else. i i love the story I, I love the story and it's also one of those things that you know when things get tough and they do get mm -hmm. tough. You know, I have certain moments in my career that, you know, just show up on, on a tape in my mind and, you know, having Letterman say, if you can't do this, get out of the business is yeah. a pretty good booster, you know, when, when things get kind of rough out there. But, um, you know, it's, it's really just, again, like a, a, a completely different appreciation for, for all of this. And I hope that we get to continue doing this. You know, we, we're seeing everything going on with the, the Delta variant yeah, and oh whatnot. Yeah. But last, last year taught, taught me more than anything that um, we are true performers. And if we had, excuse me, if we had to go back into the underground, which I don't want to, um, you know, I'm prepared. I've seen Fifth Element a bunch of times. All the only difference is we inside instead of in space. <laughs> right. so, I don't really get that. I don't really get the movie re that reference, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's more so like I'm prepared to just per to perform for my phone for another year if it means that we get to keep more human beings. Yeah. And well, prior to 2015, you were kind of doing that, right? I mean, you were you were gigging around and 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 working super hard, and you were also working not to take it way back, but I do want to kind of cover a little bit of background story because I love it so much. Um, that you were working like a regular job, like in oil and gas trading, etc. And oh, like. Not not like a regular well job. that's my that's my Calif that's that's my californian <laughs> accent just saying like i'm sorry but thank you for taking me literally no, like, like smack me around a little bit yeah. on the california stuff yeah, no. <laughs> lingo um yeah. yeah no i was a, a gas and power trade analyst at an investment bank here in houston and my guitar player was a worked for the international space station at nasa we had a bunch wow. of workers and you know like this is this is something that we never saw happening. And with the Letterman mm. thing, it's it's one of those things where I don't take it for granted because I know how many artists uh, 
dream of being on late night once dream dreamed of being on his show once and for it to happen to a band that had no deal that had no label that had no yeah. publicist that had you know like it was some old school music industry chance of a lifetime kind of right stuff. exactly how did you get the call uh one of their producers had heard about us through uh someone that was friends with our manager and then he got another call and another call and so during cmj he came out to the show and um yeah he walked up to me and i thought he was joking because i mean why would you be at our show and um <laughs> he was serious and um we heard from him uh like three months later so i didn't think he was that serious and um yeah when we got the call it was Do you have a publicist tonight fibbed and i said yes and i called the publicist that i knew, <laughs> the one publicist that I knew. pretend you're my publicist please right now. like I, I begged her to answer the phone because they wanted to talk to a publicist they didn't want to talk to anyone on our team which i understand now why um and it's because for anyone that's listening that wonders why it's because those late night spots are opportunities and they should be looked at more like commercials rather than um, yeah. an opportunity to make you famous or whatever, but, or rich. Right. but, um, the main reason they occur is to promote, you know, a release. And so at that time we didn't even have an album. Yeah. And so for, uh, Letterman, we finished the EP so that he would have something in his hands that day. Uh, oh, no so oh, wow. how much time I, did you have between, uh, the call and the, the show so that you could get that EP? We produced? had, we had a couple weeks, but because we only released, <laughs> I was going to, I was waiting for months. Like, a couple weeks. We will for it to get out the way we needed to. And our, our performance date changed a few times. And so uh -huh. it was just a bunch of chaos, but, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. good chaos. It all worked out. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, thankfully at that, at that time, CDs, uh, were super cheap and easy to get a, like pretty quick. Uh, and so we got what we needed and, um, right. My friend and roommate at the time, Ashley Ward, did the artwork and amazing. And um, yeah, the album came out a year later. And um, yeah, we launched that over at The Daily Show because we had raised the money <laughs> using Kickstarter. And um, yeah, we just didn't find a label partner that that believed in us at the time and or that wanted to spend the money. A lot of people kept saying that uh, we were too big of a band or that we needed to shave down some members. And Right. You know, we had opened a show for Lionel Richie at ACL Live and he said, don't break up your band and do not let them kick anybody out. He said they tried to kick me out of the Commodores and you see how that worked out. So um, mm -hmm. I, I, I've gotten to a point now when it comes to just overall musicianship and um, band maintenance and care that if it's not coming from someone who has had a band that has lasted a long time in a healthy way, I right. just really don't listen to them that much. So, you know, I listen to Lionel Richie and I listen to Jim James and that's <laughs> it's about it when it comes to, you know, bands with like five or more people. And um, I, th I don't think there's anything wrong with that, honestly. Yeah. So you talked to, yeah, uh, you take a lot of advice from Jim. Yes. Um, I know he gave you some important advice with solo work saying that you can have a solo career, which, uh, I mean, it, it was, he does as well. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of my morning jackets and, uh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, uh, 
he'll he'll put he'll put the Jim James stuff first sometimes, you know. And well, I mean, it cool. also just depends on or the, do it both at the same time, right? It depends on the release schedule. It depends yeah. on the budget. It depends, you know. Fans find out what is shared with them, you know. And uh, I would say Nathaniel Rateliff is another good example of that. In where mm-hmm. you know sometimes it makes more sense to hold off one record and release it in cycle, um, especially if you know y'all are touring in the same band solo, or if other people have other ventures, or if somebody in the band has kids. You know, you never know what's going on, and there's yeah. different ways to make it all happen and work. But in terms of like the overall output of of art, you know. Um, me telling you that last year was the first year I really felt like I could output in that way. Um, there's so many people that have had the opportunity to do it their whole lives that still feel like they haven't really output, you know, anywhere near as much as they can. And right. as an artist, if you sit on that much stuff, especially if you really believe in what you're putting, like the what you're creating, and you want to share it and you don't share, it can be really like heavy on you. And it can cause, you know, just some chaos or depression. And from for myself, watching Jim do his solo stuff and his side projects, watching, uh, you know, so many of my peers, even watching Brittany Howard, watching her do it, you know, I, I just tell myself, look, back in the day, people used to go solo and say a word of water, they're banned. These days, we live in a, a music industry where we are told by the people that, make money off of us at these DSPs that we cannot survive doing this. Daniel X, CEO of Spotify, telling us that we cannot survive unless we're releasing two to three albums a cycle in the future. So what does that mean? Are we supposed to oversaturate ourselves as bands? Are we supposed to do other projects? Are we supposed to collaborate with others? Are we supposed to write for others? I don't think there's any rules necessarily to it, but if we're talking in terms of just obvious advice um, in terms of maintaining a sustainable music career, I think that we need to start by, you know, letting go of the limitations and not limiting ourselves in terms of what we can do, because the only thing that ever really limits the output of art is money and planning and marketing. However, if you're an artist that doesn't necessarily care um, how your release is released, like sometimes I don't care. I'll just drop a single sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did go. it during quarantine. I was so mad at Texas Workforce Commission for not sending me literally anything because at that point, gig workers weren't being included um, in the uh, the benefit programs that I wrote a song and I called them out on the song and I said, Texas Workforce Commission says that I don't exist. Someone say a prayer for me because I'm getting pissed. And um, all it is is about how hard it is to get help and how hard, it shouldn't be that hard. And right. I realized, damn, like this isn't a suffer song. And had I waited for a traditional release, like I know that I'm working on this solo album, but I'm going to release it when it's done. And I don't know when that is, maybe next year, maybe 2023. But, you know, I, I'm taking my sweet ass time on it because I can. But I didn't know that I could when I first started doing this, I didn't know a lot of things. And I also have to explain this to you and a lot of my friends that live in the Californias or the Tennessees or the, or the New Yorks that are more surrounded by industry resources that Uh down here outside of Austin, um, a lot of times your music industry education has to be sought out on your own. So unless you're, you know, out here with your friends or, 
you're reading the Don Passman book or the Emily White book, um, you know, it's, it's pretty limiting. And before the era of YouTube, books were pretty much, books and music biographies, whether they were telling the truth or not, was pretty much all that was there. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to make sense, uh, just kind of the big picture, because at first, uh, initially, you were talking about um, needing to have like an output of three or four kind of ventures, either solo or with your band or, mm-hmm. or singles per year. But you also sort of talked about taking your time and waiting and putting out product when it's right for you. Yeah. Um, those two seem like opposing forces, but maybe because I'm not understanding it properly. Well, I would say that it's opposing forces depending on how you look at the artists themselves. I consider myself to be pretty multidimensional. So uh, one part of my art takes longer than the other. Like the stuff that I do with the suffers, I can get it done pretty quickly. The stuff mm-hmm. that I'm working on in terms of my country folk uh, Americana stuff, I'm taking yeah. my time because I would actually like to shop that. Um, and, you know, see what happens with a little bit more help. Um, mm-hmm. These singles that I've been releasing sporadically, it's more so been just because I wanted to release sporadically and, you know, test to see what my numbers look like, test to see what my demographics look like. I've also been doing a lot of collaborations with God knows how many people the last two years um, since I've, you know, been set up at home, especially. Uh, and, you know, if I can do it, I do it. And there's certain projects that I'm like, I'm going to sit on it a little bit more. My, the one I'm, I said, I'm going to take my time on. That's yeah. my first full length album. And anybody will tell you your first time is your first time. You can take as long on it as you want. Right. Um, and so for that one, that's what's happening. Um, and I mainly mean that in terms of the full length, not necessarily in me, in terms of me releasing music. Um great picture though in terms of the two to three releases that I was talking about earlier last year I think it was probably around this time last year um Spotify was getting lit up by a bunch of artists that were fucking broke and are still broke and I know that momentum is starting to pick up but instead of offering ways to um help artists the CEO just responded with how we would have to create even more uh to make what we were making before the pandemic off of our music and it he was literally just talking in terms of basic music economics and the state of what things are right now but this was also coming from someone that hasn't even supported the idea of paying a penny a stream so that's what i mean in terms of i'm having to continue to output um just for my own sake so yeah but I only release if I feel like releasing and because right. I'm not you, on you, a label, yeah. I'm not under some schedule, you know, I'm not on a really I hear you. Schedule. I hear you. It's the balance. Um, it's the balance. It's, it's the balance between the two. I mean, yes. to really be and, economically viable, you'd have to put out something every day, for example, well, unrealistic as that might be just hypothetically, but as a human and as an artist, as in the person, you're going to take your time. You're going to do what you need to do. On yeah. the, on and your and, own and I mean, I've been in situations where I haven't been able to take my time. And I've been disappointed with the result and, you know, not that, oh, I'm not proud of my work or whatever. It's more so like if I have control, then like do it the right way rather than feeling rushed or regretting anything later on. Um, And in terms of how we release, you know, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that he said that. A lot of people don't realize like, damn, it's not that easy to just release a song like that. 
some of the songs that I've released have been things that I've been keeping in a vault for a while. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't got the money to get shit mixed and mastered or you're you're in a queue and waiting for, <laughs> you know, right. other people's records to get done or anybody right. that's released on vinyl knows how that works as well. And, you know, it's just <laughs> a bunch of different things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you talk to Jim James about this, what does he say specifically? Um, what kind of sort of advice did he have for you? Is it you seem you mentioned him? He must he seemed to be kind of a. I mean, he's definitely a, a mentor, but when it comes to my own personal releases, I haven't really asked him because uh, the way that I release is very different in terms of how he releases. Um, right. To my understanding, uh, his solo records and my Morning Jackets records have been on ATO, which is, you know, a great uh, indie label. Um, mm-hmm. And my releases have been independent. So, yeah. you know, he has given me more so advice in terms of sur- like surviving on the road and um just dealing with certain folks within the industry and um you know just being a friend and you know i think that that holds more weight <laughs> than than any advice because a good friend is really hard to find uh, yeah, for sure. in this industry and more so like making himself available to me uh as a mentor really um has been great and a lot of my questions have been about you know more business questions that aren't necessarily related to uh creative release um yeah. but more so like how i can help with organizations with my art in a more you know structured way and he's the reason that i serve on the board at headcount he introduced me to them and brought me on that tour with him mm. um that they did a few years ago and so you know there there were a lot of things coming up that i didn't realize like oh I can use my platform for these things or, Oh, I can, um, be vocal here, here, and here to, you know, see hopefully some change here. Um, but I don't need to drive myself crazy doing it or I can be a little smarter with the way that I'm, uh, planning out my scheduling or the way that I'm, you know, whatever it's, it's just, I feel like, I don't know if it's, if it's that interesting of a response, but it's just, you know, (laughs) it's a good thing. It's a it's a response. <laughs> True. Yeah, better than no response. Or, oh, which is no response is an answer in itself too. But that's not the case here. Yeah. Maybe we'll deal with that later if you don't want to respond. <laughs> um, so I was interested in just the, the your relationship with live music, right? So uh-huh. which we talked about a little bit. Um, and we were talking about Letterman in 2015, and then um, uh, extensive touring. Uh, after that fact, everyone quits their jobs. COVID hits. I mean, just to kind of like shrink down the timetable a little bit. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of time at home thinking about what's going on. Was there a time there? Well, this is just the first part of my question. Was there a time there when you were like, oh, my God, I quit my job, <laughs> and now I'm not back out on the road? No, uh, I don't think I've I've ever like the only time I've ever thought about my job has only been in terms of health insurance, um, because uh-huh. because as much as people expect musicians to to work, it's pretty common knowledge that most musicians don't have health insurance. Right. Um, but in terms of like the pandemic, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong self-sustaining woman. I yeah. am a planner. So the first thing that happened when this happened was I made a plan. I, before everything got shut down for real, um, we had done a little sh- show 
live show in my living room at my house. And then because we had recorded our albums live, I had all the instrumentals of everything. And so I decided, all right, until we have a plan, it's going to be, you know, almost not a karaoke, but I'm going to freaking sing live to these tracks and I'm going to build these large scale installations, which mimic the nightclub that I'd rather be in instead of, uh, you know, my bedroom. And I had a bunch of sequin and dresses that I'd plan to bring on tour. And so I built a backdrop out of those and, um, mm-hmm. you know, made it happen. I, again, when you have no resources, you become pretty, uh, <laughs> resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we made it happen and we connected uh, a tip, like a digital tip jar and um, right. had my bandmates in the comments just kind of giving fun facts about yeah, the background yeah. behind the songs. And a lot of people <laughs> started uh, reaching out about how, you know, it just brought them a lot of joy and how, you know, like entertaining is what I do. And the tech side of it, sounding good, looking good meant a lot to me. And so um at the beginning you know and this isn't a knock to any of my peers at all but at the beginning i got a lot of help from you know friends that work in sound that taught me how to connect my interface to my mac so that when i performed you were getting the best sound quality that you could and it didn't just sound like i was performing um over a speaker you know it sounded like you were in a studio and that i was performing live for you because i was i was doing full on 75 minute shows in costume with the smoke machine with lighting. And I was doing wow. it by myself. I had my roommate filming with uh, a phone for, for Instagram, but I would start doing lighting at three. Like I would treat it like a show. I would start doing lighting yeah. and sound check at three. I'd eat at five. I'd run everything again at seven and then it'd be showtime at eight o'clock. You know, and how often and- did you do these? Every week until June 27. So I did about 15 shows or 15 weeks of shows. And then I also did um, Patreon uh, shows with the band. And then we also did a bunch of supplemental digital uh, concerts as well. So um, I got pretty pretty in touch with editing and (laughs) and sound and really have just a much greater appreciation for the people on the tech side now as well. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, it was, it was horrible learning it cause I didn't want to. Um, but now that I do know how to do all of that, um, and, you know, if I need to connect a baby interface in a room and set up a, tra- a traveling studio, I can do that now. You know, I made yeah. that type of time commitment, um, uh, into learning how to do this. And now it's only expanded more into literally every other facet of my career. So no, I did not miss my old job. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You did not miss your old job. No, right? The thing I missed more than anything was the road. I missed being outside. I missed, yeah. I mean, that was supposed to be our first headlining tour in a long time. And so, yes, mm. it has set us back tremendously uh, mm-hmm. in terms of our uh, trajectories for ourselves at that time. But again, like, I'm no, <laughs> I'm no underdog, you know? So it's like, yeah. I, I know that no matter what bullshit arises, I will win. So I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, if people don't want to wear the masks, all right, I'll become a performer for the underground. If we get to 
keep doing this the way that we're doing it, then great. Hopefully, I'll get to be back in Europe next year. Well, being an underdog is okay. I always, I always root for the underdog. That doesn't mean that you're not being an underdog. Doesn't mean that you're that you're losing the race. It just means that there's diversity that you, um, or there's adversity that you over that you can overcome, and that. I totally feel you. But in this case, I don't feel like that. Like, I don't feel like I'm overcoming adversity when I'm at home. Like, yeah. <laughs> if I'm at home and I have nobody fucking up, like no one is here to be like, that sucks or that's not a good idea or, you know, whatever negative thing. So right. much work gets done. And you know what happens? People are like, that's tight after when they get it back. I'm like, damn, like when you don't have the negative thoughts going in, I I just don't feel like an underdog right now, maybe in something else that I'm doing. And that's, well, does that mean that? that. So when you were at home during quarantine um, and you didn't have those kind of thoughts, are, was it easier for you when you were in your house? Like not, well, just like everybody else, like not not having that kind of contact from outside or not? Are there elements of the outside world that make you get into your head? Um, I felt the safest that I've ever been for sure. Yeah. Um, Which is again, unfortunate, but you know, I have a lot of people that think that putting their hands, not on my hair, which is already weird enough, but like they'll stick their hands into my scalp and think it's normal. Or I've had what the f- what 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 the fuck? You have a beard. I'm sure you've had people fucking. Oh yeah, people all the time stop me on so, the street and put their hands on my beard. No, they don't. Can so, so oh no, that I've seen lots of dudes with beards have that happen to them. And, really? Where? Yeah. Oh, I've, I've seen it all the time. I've seen it all a whole bunch. Yeah, um, no, it's, but, it has not but, happened to me. <laughs> but uh, I don't fare well with people that can't keep them ha- their hands to themselves yeah, good. Uh, already. And so it was that, that was really nice. Not having to constantly fucking play the defense all the yeah. time, which is like um, kind of, which is sad. It's sad, but I mean, it, it it's my reality and yeah. you know, like, I, I don't know how to continue saying it. Uh, in a way that makes me more heard uh, because yelling makes me not heard. And um, me having any other tone than this monotone that I have when I discuss it Mm. seems to also leave me unheard. And so, um, you know, this has been my chosen tone for talking about the non-fun stuff, uh, mainly so that I can get through it. But yeah, I appreciated a year of not being touched without permission by men. Also, that was nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, otherwise, when you were talking about having kind of a positive attitude and such, I mean, you have these cam principles that I read about that I like a lot. (laughs) My principles. I read about your principles. You were in like some fancy business magazine with your principles. Oh, Forbes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I think that was a few years ago. But the the one that I think I stand firmest on is just betting on yourself. And yeah. again, like <laughs> that's why that's that that is why maybe it's the confidence or whatever. But like I know how hard I work, and I know yeah. how kind I am to people, and I know how 
much of a lack of kindness there is within this industry. And mm-hmm. I know that my favorite thing about myself is making other people feel welcome. And knowing those things about myself, I know I'm always going to have a job. I know I'm always going to do something in music if it's what I want to do, which I yeah. know it is. Um, but yeah, just betting on yourself, that lack of confidence can fuck a lot of things up and hold a lot of things back and, um, you know, keep people from doing the things that they really want to do. Be that, you know, trying out something, asking somebody out, joining a band, you know, it's like, right. if, if you don't bet on you, you know, why should other people? Yeah. You said, honor your own talents. Don't compare, trust your gut and everyone's not going to like you. Yeah, those were the those were the bottom three ones. <laughs> those were the bottom three ones. It was, those didn't even make it to the top. <laughs> no, those are great. I mean, I I yeah. I mean, if you're not going to believe, if you don't believe in yourself, no one no one's going to believe in you, right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's I like the fucking bottom line. That's kind of the bottom folks. line, I think. Definitely tried to get folks liking me in all regards when I first started this career and drove myself crazy. So. I've learned like, if they like you, they like you. If they don't, they don't keep it moving. And that's something that on stage you absolutely embody. And it's a really, it's, 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 it gets me energized. It makes me like happy. And, um, because I get inspired when others are on stage, um, embodying their like true authentic self. Is that how you kind of feel when you're doing that? Or does that ring true? I mean, it doesn't have to. I'm just like, so what's what's your sort of feeling when you're up there? Um, I mean, I would say that's pretty close. My feeling when I'm up there is, oh, we're here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, it's fair. thing you've been waiting for all, yeah. all day or all right. week. Right. Um, right. And it's more so a release, I think. Um you know, I, I've never had an interest in skydiving, but I do feel like maybe it's the feeling that they get when they jump out the plane. You know, it's just, ah, uh, I'm in control. I'm not in control. I'm having a great time. I'm yeah. flying, you know, but more than anything, you know, the feeling I get from singing, whether it's a, a big room of people or, you know, just like two folks or whatever is, um, really uncomparable and i just think about the fact that (laughs) i could be back at the nine to five at the job that i didn't want to be at anymore um Mm. unhappy and i you know i I go through a lot of things when i'm in my uh, in my shows but it's usually a lot of gratefulness and um just keeping keeping my own self hype especially if for some reason the audience isn't uh, into what we're doing or for like a corporate event or something. And I need to have more energy just for myself. I'm usually just like, yes, let's go. Mm." (laughs) Um, So I guess I wanted to ask you um, about the band, uh, the suffers, including Mm -hmm. you and, and, and your bandmates um, and how now getting back out on the road, presumably, um, after the events of last summer and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, does that um, give you kind of a different uh, 
headspace and mindset when you're out there performing, what you think that might when you're out there performing? Is there kind of a different, um, kind of a, um, a different focus or an additional focus when you're out there? Uh, yes and no. Yes. in that, you know, I'm black everywhere I go. So like, yeah. you know, people acknowledging everything that black folks have been going through last year, you know, I'm, I am not personally going to entertain it or address it during our yeah. shows. We have a song called, how do we heal that? You know, I'll, sing and I'll, I'll go through, you know, the backstory there. Cause it's definitely about the, the mass loss of life, but I, I can't personally set myself up um, for conversations that I don't want to have knowing that every space I go into isn't a safe space. Um, and secondly, you know, my main focus at these shows is uh, providing joy and love and escapism you know, when it comes to the discussion of America's evolution, you know, <laughs> that's when I have to hit people with the monotone because that's when people start thinking you really want to talk about it. And, you know, I'm, I, I am quick to send people to Google or to the library um, because it's just something that I've had to do for my own personal mental health. Um, and growing up, not only as a black woman, as a Texan, as a Southerner, as a, you know, a, a big woman, a tall woman, dark skinned woman, like there are so many things in terms of the level of bullshit that I already have to deal with before I get to that stage that mm -hmm. I really have to make the most of um, my personal joy and uh, stability when I get there, because if every night becomes about trauma rather than about healing, I know what I'm setting myself up for. I've already been mm. there before. And, um, yeah. you know, it was happening shortly after Eric Garner's death when, you know, a lot of people thought it wasn't really that worth talking about. And, you know, it's something that still affects me like every day. And, um, you know, I, I just, yeah, I, I can't do it. Um, I feel like there are other ways for me to uh, lend my strengths to my community and to uplift them, be that through sharing information, providing opportunity, uh, mm. connecting them um, with resources, be it in this industry or others, uh, and to leave my show for what I want to use it for, which is relief and release and, again, escape and, you know, I think a lot of our fan base, it seems like a lot, we have a lot of hardworking people, not to say a lot of folks don't, but, you know, I think our story uh, has led a lot of people that, you know, they want their creatives on the side. They want to do other stuff, but they're, they're teaching or they're working at these law firms or they're, they're working in the medical field and just the idea of possibly doing what we've done, you know, piqued their interest or they got connected us in another way and yeah you know, that before covid we'd go we'd talk to folks we'd listen to their stories we'd get to hear everything and you know coming coming back into this i know that our fans that have been coming for a long time they want healing they want relief and yeah you know more than anything we want to we also want to dance <laughs> and have a good time you know i i've spent a lot of the last two years, you know, in grief, 
and being yeah. sad. And, you know, like if folks want to ask questions about, you know, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, or they want to talk about Black Lives Matter, I'm going to decline most of the time. And right. uh, not because I don't like, like now, na- like now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's, it's not even, No, I hear it. I hear what you're that. saying. Like it's, it's something that you're dealing with that. Yeah. You just want to bring joy out to the people and maybe it's not such a fair question, but I'm understanding a little bit more about your mindset just by asking. No. And I, and I appreciate that. Um, I, if my only ask would be that you're asking your white fans, the same, your white guests, the same yeah. thing when they come on here. Because it's going to be up to y'all, yeah, yeah, your absolutely, and your work, like, and I mean it, your work for this to actually yeah. happen. Because I've been doing the work. Yeah, that's life. how. That's you're and, absolutely right. Like, what are what are what are guys that look like me out there doing to to talk to others about like that? Now we're back to shows, and this all all this happened while i while we were away for example yeah, like what's going on what, like where can we uh, increase diversity and like in guests even in, in the guests that i have even yeah hold up hold up not how can they increase diversity because that's not what we want how can they Rep- increase the equity uh-huh uh yeah exp- because it's one thing for us to come into the room and for us to sell out the same way that other people mm-hmm. sell out but for us to get paid $500 or $1,000, whatever X amount might be, and our peer that's doing exactly just the same as we are, that just happens to be led by a white person getting paid three times as much. That's a completely different conversation. It's a very real conversation that we don't have the time for here today. But, you know, these are the things that are deeply impacting right. us. And you've gone from, oh, are they to, Artists are talking to one another. Artists are starting to realize, damn, and it's not just the black artists, the inequity that exists between men and women. I mean, that's an easy uh, demographic that, excuse me, that's an easy statistic that you can look up where it seems to be pretty hard for a lot of these festivals to get to even 40% women on the bill. 35% women is considered a big deal. Meanwhile, if you compare those statistics to the BIPOC artists that are there, members of the LGBTQIA community that are there. Right. So it's going to take a lot of work. It's not something that I think you and I are going to fix today. And um, But I do want to encourage you to continue asking that question, especially to your white guests. It might make them uncomfortable. But the thing is, is that I've told you about, I don't know, like 10 traumas yeah. today that I've had just for simply looking like how I look. Um, right, right. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's the least that could be done. And, um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm getting exhausted um, asking constantly, you know, how, how other people that are not the black folks or the brown folks uh, can do a bigger part to make it a little bit more fun for all of us. But I'm also realizing that the generation that came before me didn't even get to ask the questions that I get to ask. So I, right. <laughs> I'm just out right. here. I'm out here leading. So hopefully the, the next gen can just go. Wah! Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Cam. And I, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about, let's talk about some fun. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Not that this isn't fun before I let you go though. 
yeah. Let's talk fine. about um, uh, Newport. And you just got back from Newport Folk. And uh, uh, what was your favorite part about the experience there? Uh, obviously, singing with Shaka Khan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, man. Shaka Khan was a surprise guest during Allison Russell's uh, collaborative headline set entitled uh-huh. Future Sounds. And um, yeah. I was excited because I was able to debut one of my solo songs called Don't, Don't Get Caught Sick. Um, right. But more than anything, it was exactly what I just talked about, like an opportunity for so many artists of color to collaborate because usually on these bills we'd get booked this is what diversity does mm-hmm. i'd be thursday another black artist would be friday another black artist would be sunday another black artist would be saturday what does that mean we don't get to see each other mm. and if it's like that at every festival that means we never get to see each other you have a bill that looks diverse diverse but, but it's not if it's only one black person or one black act a day and no one notices that there's 40 white acts a day, it's like, ah. but this year was the blackest Newport Folk Festival that I've been to in almost seven years and going. It was also right. my favorite that I've ever been to. And not just because of that, but because it felt like everyone was trying to, you know, and ah, like it felt like we belonged and it didn't feel like we were a um a token and that's great that's great it's, i'm glad to it's hear that very scary to say it out loud like that you know but i'm at a point now where i don't know <laughs> many of my peers that feel comfortable saying things like that uh out loud but i'm hearing more and being in that set you know with Adia Victoria and with Allison, who have been so vocal um, about a lot of the change that's, you know, needed to occur. I felt far less alone Um, Mm -hmm. and having Chakra Khan come out and uh, not only rehearse with us, but, you know, allow us to sing on her legendary songs um, really just provided a whole new sense of uh, unity and validation because when you look at those photos it's not just the black women at the end of the set it's everybody you know it's everyone up there and um that to me is what newport has always you know strived for but you know even them being so forward thinking and so so diverse you know every organization needs work but i commend them tremendously for doing the work um to make everyone feel welcome and i look forward to seeing you know other festivals see how successful them just making that one tiny change uh you know made for what ended up being probably the most epic dance party ever at newport folk festival yeah i would be hot no i i will go ahead and say it was the most <laughs> okay you can say that no you know no one's going to dispute you <laughs> but um yeah no it was definitely a highlight of my life and um you know, I, I look forward to going back and uh, I look forward to getting back out just into the festival circuit in general and seeing more of our peers and mm-hmm. getting to meet more people and hopefully seeing more spaces that, uh, excuse me, look like us. And by look like us, I mean, literally every race, 
when you're when you're in LA, that's how the festivals to me should look. When you're in yeah. New York, when you're in Houston, like, and maybe that's the reason that I've been like this is because having grown up in such a diverse place, I notice it. I notice it immediately when I don't see other black folks or brown folks or Asian folks. Like, I'm just like, what the hell is this? And mainly the reason why I am so vocal is because coming up here in Houston, um, even just learning how to sing, the choirs are so diverse. And how do you get, how do you figure out who is doing the most successful work? You get everybody's voice in there. You go through right. every singer, you know, and it's, it's something that I think uh, <laughs> is going to be a, a slow generational kind of change, but I'm here for it. Right on, right on. So am I, so am I. So, you know, um, I applaud what you do. I Thank totally you. appreciate what you're saying. Um, I hear you. I see you. And um, no, and I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you too, Cam. Um, thanks so much for what you do. Uh, can't wait to uh, can't wait to catch up with you on the road. Yes. Yes. We'll be back out to California eventually. Right on. Right on. Okay. Thanks, Cam. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Okay, that was Cam Franklin on Roadcase. I was so happy to have Cam here. A lot of tough topics that we covered. A lot of important uh, ground. You know, I was clearly um, very outraged and concerned to hear about the sexual assault and and harassment and cultural oppression and um, that Cam has suffered throughout her career. Um, and I'm glad that she came to Roadcase to talk about her band and um, what they've been doing and also talk about these type of issues that Cam encounters on a daily basis. Um, she's really outspoken about it. I really appreciate that and respect that. Um, I love that she just gets right to the point, uh, even about trauma that she has endured in uh, uh, in her life. It's outrageous and unacceptable that those kind of things happen to any human. And I'm really sorry that that happened to Cam. Um, we also talked about diversity and, uh, you know, I'll, I do my best to represent diversity on this show and I can do better and I'd like to do better. Um, we talked about equal representation and equal pay, uh, regardless of the color of one's skin or, uh, one's, um, gender identification or what have you. Um, uh, interesting point about festivals, that festivals might represent diversity, but if there's just one BIPOC uh, individual per day, then those people don't get to talk to one another and never get to see one another, et cetera. And that's an interesting point uh, that Cam made as well. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. I was so glad that Cam uh, sat down and talked with me for a little bit. Um, I really want to, uh, to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I really appreciate everyone out there and really, really appreciate your support. Thanks for being here. And I want to thank uh, especially Cam Franklin of The Suffers again for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. 
Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>